So, obviously, you want to talk about the Silver Linings album, 40 years of Anthrax, which still sounds amazing to wrap my head around that it's been that long, and get your opinion on a couple things. But I wanted to start off with the Silver Linings album and saying thank you, man. You really did give me something to look forward to throughout the pandemic. It was like, well, it can't go to any shows, but I know Charlie's going to do some dope cover with all his friends, and it's going to be amazing. And I'm kind of curious, too, at what point in the process of the year did you go, hey, I should put this out as an album? Well, I wasn't I wasn't intending on, on doing that, putting it out. I was just doing them as videos and just having fun, basically. And while I was entertaining myself, I found that I was entertaining others who really enjoyed them. So um, just kind of snowballed into something else. And then I kept getting requests to put it out. Like we have all of these like on, on vinyl on CD download, whatever. And I, I decided to do it. And that's the only reason why is because people like asked about it. Oh, I love it, and I'm glad you did, and I think it is a really cool compilation and a real sign of the times, and kind of curious for you doing this at home. It looked like a lot of the times from the videos on an electronic kit, but I'm curious, were there any tunes on the album that you did on an acoustic kit, like any that was like, oh, I have for sure have to do that on an acoustic versus the electronic kit? Well, the, the problem with that was... I couldn't get like uh, our engineer who usually does a lot of the, the demos and, and some of the recording on our records, he was pretty much quarantined. So I couldn't do anything. So I had to basically teach myself how to sample and cut different, uh, you know, pieces of drums, live drums, and import them into my rolling kit and then play it from there. So that's how I did it. Ah, and then so that was my other question too. You were really the uh, engineer and producer of the whole album as well, then. <laughs> Pretty much, and like um, the the only thing I would tell everybody who was uh, whoever was featured on certain songs, I would just tell them to please pay close attention to the original track and just pay attention to detail because while. I, I wanted you to add a little bit of your own style to it. I really wanted to stay true to the original. And then that was it. And then I said, have fun. And it seems like everyone did. I was going to take a wild stab at maybe the Run DMC medley maybe being the the most difficult to arrange because you didn't have that template. It wasn't a straight cover. No, as a matter of fact, it's funny you mentioned that one because that's the one that I had to approach it as if I was a DJ and everything that went down that you saw in the video was me doing it live. So I basically set up my Alesis um, trackpad and I put all the different samples in there. So I was hitting it live as we were playing it. And a lot of the samples would trigger the next section of the song. So for me, I was, you know, like I said, I was the DJ and the drummer at the same time. <laughs> so rad and so cool to see some different sides. Like, for example, the, the Massive Attack, probably a tune that really lent it to the electronic kit. But uh, the Massive Attack and Teardrop and what you got out of Carla was certainly a really cool different side of her that we, as music fans, never really got to hear before. That's true. I pushed her out of her comfort zone and she talks about that a lot. But <laughs> you know, the other thing that we did was <laughs> I set up a microphone in the kitchen and we drank wine and 
we had fun with it and I was trying to get her as drunk as possible so that she wouldn't realize that I was really pushing her, <laughs> pushing her to the limit. <laughs> That's incredible. It was wine fueled that recording of her. I wined her and dined her. Yes, so it, <laughs> it worked. But because um, Elizabeth Fraser, who actually does the vocals on the original track, you know, she has such a distinctive voice. We weren't trying to top it. We weren't even trying to match it. I just wanted it to be possibly in the same, you know, area of it. And and that was it. I wanted it to sound very angelic. And it did. And it felt like Massive Attack, even though it was her version. And that was such a trip. And speaking about the two of you, how long has, have you guys been together now? Um, we've been together, actually, for a few years, actually, you know, but... It was like she moved here during the pandemic, like in March. So we've been inseparable since since then. And survived that. So it must be uh, all, all going swimmingly at this point if you guys survived the pandemic together. Yeah, right. We survived. <laughs> yeah. I mean, a lot of us survived it. Um I'm kind of glad that we kind of did it together, you know? I, I guess, yeah, the, the point you were making is if we could survive that, we could survive anything. Yeah, because I imagine once uh, as things start opening up, you guys are going to be going in opposite directions with both bands going, and uh, certainly mm-hmm, yeah. as 2022 rolls around. You know, the other one that blew me away vocally, which was completely a different side, and I would have never even thought in a million years to have... Mark Asagato from Death Angel do a U2 cover and talk about selecting him for that track and, and picking that track from U2. Mark, I've known Mark since I, I can't tell you how long <laughs> I've known him. Mark and I bonded uh, many, many years ago over music, over bands like U2, as a matter of fact. I always heard this kind of Bono quality to Mark's voice. And when I came about to do this song, I didn't want to do, you know, like a, a With or Without You or, um, you know, the uh, Pride and Name of Love. I wanted to do a song that it, this song totally moves me. Every time I hear it, it makes me so happy. And that's what that song does to me. So what better thing to do in a pandemic than to cheer myself up and cheer other people up. Like my friends who love you too, when they heard it, they kept listening to it over and over again because they thought I just kind of sampled the music or something. And I'm like, no, no, I, I recreated this whole thing. So they were blown away by it. So if a YouTube fan was blown away, I, I knew I did it right. Oh yeah. I played it for my wife. Who's a massive YouTube fan and been to all the tours and stuff. And she was like, wait, it, this, who is this again? Like what's going on here exactly? Like, and, and for, and then for, <laughs> For me to turn around and she's not a metalhead at all and be like, well, this is the guy singing it and throwing some Death Angel really quick. She was completely blown away as I was, man. Such a killer track and so many on this album. But I, I'm curious a little bit too, wanted to get into uh, one of the tracks that doesn't have any vocals and Transylvania and Iron Maiden. Was it Snake that picked out that tune to, to cover? It was. It was Snake. Um, Snake saw some of the videos that were I was doing, and he and he called me up. And he's like, "Dude, let's do one of these." And I'm like, "Dude, I'm ready." We call each other "dude," as you can see. Um, <laughs> so um, I said, "Well, what do you want to do?" So we didn't want to approach it with a singer. We wanted to do something instrumentally. And one of our favorite Iron Maiden songs was Transylvania, and he talks about. Before they go on, they warm up, him and uh, the other guitar player, Scotty, they warm up to Transylvania. Wow. So I said, let's do it. And I I asked Frankie and John from the band, Anthrax, to do it. 
they loved it and boom we had so much fun with that one and it's like just go for it man you know but it was important to me to stay true to that original as well. I wanted to capture that Clive Bird drumming on it. And yeah. that was important because he, he's like one of my favorites. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you brought him up. I, I mean, it's funny. I was recently debating with another drummer, Clive Bird versus Nico McBrain. And he was, I'm on the Clive Bird train and I think you would be too. But talk about what a talent that guy was and rest in peace, man. Gone far too soon. But those first couple Maiden albums were amazing. Gone far too soon. I don't ever really compare Nico to him because Nico has his own style. And the thing that Nico brings to Maiden is totally different than what Clive brings to Maiden. I mean, I don't know any other drummer that could have thought of the beginning of Where Eagles There, but uh, (laughs) the Nico McBrain. It's completely Nico. And Nico's got the tightest triplets in rock music. So I love them both. What do you love about Clive? What did you love? What were some of the, the standouts from him? I loved Clive Burr's drumming because he propelled that band. He drove the band. Like, his drumming was so heavy. The drumming on Killers is, like, for me, pre-thrash metal. Like, some of the things that he does on there are so fast. And I can't even tell you how much I love his drumming because if you listen to the, the beat on... Um, Number of the Beast, Clive is playing and he plays that off snare hit, you know, during the the verse. It's so Clive Burr. It's just beautiful. Played drums a little bit as a kid. And man, I used to warm up to a, a deep cut, Total Eclipse. Loved his drum playing Ooh, on that tone. That's a great one, too. You know, I wanted to uh, get into the little bit of the 40 years of Anthrax and really cool with this documentary that you have been doing. And uh, speaking of drummers, really interesting to learn that John Tempesta was the not man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's pretty funny. In the video, Johnny put the, uh, the head on and he was running around the arenas and stuff. He was, John is like, he's got the best sense of humor. So who better to put that on than him? Loved learning that. And, and oh, you know, one, one other shocking thing, and it kind of ties into the album a little bit, but really interesting to learn that originally the Beastie Boys so were, were going to do I'm the Man rather than you guys doing it yourself. Talk about that a little bit. And how long how long did you wait where you finally gave up on and, and said, nah, you know what, we'll do it ourselves? Some of our friends worked at um, Def Jam and also Rush Management that they manage the Beastie Boys and Run DMC, Public Enemy too. And um, the whole idea about I'm the Man was the Beastie Boys were going to to be the rappers on it. And uh, it was all set to go. And then License to Ill came out and they were gone. <laughs> they were on tour, you know, and the schedules just never lined up. So we had no choice because we were in the studio and we basically did it. We did our best Beastie Boy impression <laughs> that we could do. And that's what happened. And it's funny because at a Metallica show in New York, Adam was there and he asked what's going on with the record. And I was kind of embarrassed to tell him that we already did it. And I said, oh, I don't think we're going to do it anymore. You know, but yeah, I would have loved to have them on it. You know, that would have been so awesome. Well, in hindsight, it's a great thing that you did do it since they didn't want to do it and it ended up being a platinum record for you. Right. It's not that they didn't want to do it. They just, it was impossible to to get them back. You know, they were on tour and just so busy. And really cool cover that Jimmy James on the uh, Silver Linings album. Talk about that decision. One of my favorite Beastie Boy songs. So Ra and I were discussing and I said, I want to do this. I want to do like a little bit of a, a remix of it. And he's like, dude, that's my favorite song. I love it. So I just put it together. 
And same with the Billie Eilish song. Uh, him and I just, you know, kind of jammed on it and wanted to kind of, you know, metal it out a bit because it's such a great song. You know, both of those songs are just great songs. Uh, the Billie Eilish song was basically because my daughter would play Billie Eilish in the car all the time. And it just kind of grew on me, you know. So it was always in the back of my head to do it. And I wanted to put like harmony guitars on it and just, like I said, just kind of, you know, metalize it. I love it. I love it. And, you know, jumping back to the to doc a little bit, and you just mentioned the band uh, Metallica, and we're still one of those old school radio stations. We still do mandatory Metallica every single night. And I was hoping you could tell the Cliff Pancakes story. <laughs> it was the start of the tour in the, the big European tour. And uh, the first bit of dates were in the UK. One day we had a day off and Scott, myself, Kirk and Cliff, we went to breakfast kind of early because we couldn't sleep. You know, we were all like kind of couldn't adjust to the time, you know. So um, we went for breakfast and we're sitting at the table reading on the, on the menus what's for breakfast. And I just said, you know that part in Master of Puppets? Uh, right before Kirk's lead, James screams out something, but I, I don't understand what he says. It's hard to make out. And I remember Kirk and Cliff looking at each other. I don't even think they knew what he said. Cliff looks at me, he looks at the menu, and he goes, pancakes. <laughs> I think he says, I think he says pancakes. We were cracking up laughing. And then every show after that, I would like kind of watch from Cliff's side. And when that part would come up, Cliff would look at me and he'd mouth the word pancakes. <laughs> so it became a thing. And um, I told James the story many, many years later, the first Big Four show in Poland, the night before we all had a big dinner with just the bands. We were just all talking and bullying it. And I was talking to James and I was talking to him about Cliff. And I told him the story about that. And he looked at me and he's like, thank you so much for telling me this story. Because a lot of that time is a blur to me. So when I hear stories like that, it makes me so happy. During the whole Big Four concerts that we did, James would yell out pancakes. And I heard he still does it here and there. <laughs> so yeah, it's just one of those things that a funny story, a funny moment with Cliff. The, the words that James actually says is fix me. But I think pancakes sound so much better. Yeah, I like that story way better. And great to learn Cliff's kind of personality. I mean, so much is made about his playing, rightfully so. But then also to kind of learn about his personality and sense of humor. That's why I love, love that story and appreciate you sharing it. Oh, yeah. Great, great guy. And yeah, very dry sense of humor. I love it. And, you know, one of the things that hasn't come up yet in the uh, in the documentary at the uh, timing of this recording of this interview, but I'm kind of curious, uh, certainly over the 40 years of Anthrax, there's been a lot of member changes over the years. And I'm kind of curious, and it hasn't kind of gotten to that part yet, but I'm kind of curious, was Frankie Bello and losing him for that period of time, even though it wasn't very long, but was that the hardest member change for you personally? Every single member change from like Belladonna, that was that was rough. Spitz was tough. I mean, we always knew Frankie was going to come back. Uh, just maybe needed some time away, and so it wasn't a permanent thing. And even with Spitz, I thought he was always going to come back at some point too. And I'm so so happy that you know. We repaired relationships, you know, our relationship with Joey again. Like when we did that reunion tour, I was really excited about it. And I was more excited to just kind of repair the relationship. And that's what it was all about. And I'm so glad we did that. You know, we've made two great records and we're on 
on the on our way to making uh, uh, another great record. I think. Yeah, I wanted to touch on that. I mean, I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't ask where we're at in the process and what it's looking like. I mean, obviously 2022 for the record, but is it done? Are you still working on songs? Is it mixing, mastering? Where are we at in the process? Uh, we're still working on the on the material. That's where we're at because COVID kind of put a, a stop on it all in, in, in a sense. Like we didn't get together, but I was still working on material, but we didn't want to put a record out during this time because we didn't want it to just get lost, you know, and get sucked up in this COVID vacuum. Totally makes sense. Totally makes sense. But we'll get it in 22 for sure. Oh, yeah. It looks like that. Yeah. Awesome. And appreciate all the time, Charlie. Just last couple of things. Wanted to touch on the live stream, which we have coming up on July 17th and anthraxlive.com for tickets. And I'm curious, have you picked out the set list yet or are you still working on that one? Uh, we put together about 25 to 30 songs and we're just playing songs. Like it's not like a full type of show where it's like bam 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 we rehearsed a bit and when we start to really play it we're just gonna play a bunch of songs you know and uh that's how we're gonna do it we're not really looking at it as like uh per se like a show you know what i mean like uh we you come and see us you know we just want to play a bunch of tunes and some songs that we haven't played in years too so it's not going to be like chronologically or anything like that no 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 is there uh, any chance of any uh, special guest or maybe past members stopping by for the live stream? Uh, that's a possibility. <laughs> we got to work on that one. I know one is definitely going to show up. Mr. Uh, Caggiano? Oh, no, no, no. I can't tell you who it is, but it's, it's, it's a special guest, which we're really happy about. So uh, I'll leave it there. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair enough, fair enough. Beautiful, man. Thank you so much for the time, Charlie, and I uh, can't wait for the live stream. Thanks, Mike. I really appreciate this. Dude, you absolutely rock. Thank you so much for checking out the entire interview. Now just hit subscribe. Subscribe to the podcast, Radioactive Mike Z. My interviews in their entirety, available on all the major platforms. Tune in, Stitcher, iTunes, SoundCloud, whatever you're listening to right now. Just hit the subscribe button. Make sure to give me a follow on the socials as well. I'll follow you back at MikeZ967. And bro, don't miss the radio show. Now 10 p.m to midnight on 96.7 KCAL Rocks in the Southern California Inland Empire area, Riverside, San Bernardino County. Always streaming on live at kcalfm.com. You, my friend, absolutely rock.